Last week we heard about the first temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The, the devil had met Jesus in the wilderness when he was out there fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. The Holy Spirit had led him out there following his baptism in the river Jordan. The Holy Spirit had led him out there according to scripture to be tempted by the devil. And at the end of that period of 40 days and 40 nights, the devil comes to him and issues three basic temptations. And we heard about the first temptation last Sunday. Look around you, Jesus. You see a bunch of rocks. You've been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. You're famished, you're hungry, you're starving. Why don't you just prove you're the Son of God by changing one of those rocks into bread? It's certainly within your capacity. It's certainly within your abilities to change a rock into a loaf of bread. So why don't you just prove that you're the Son of God, demonstrate you're the Son of God by changing a rock into bread? And as we said last week, the basic proof of Jesus as the Son of God is not his ability to work miracles. It was God's own word at his baptism when God said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. That was Jesus' affirmation as the Son of God. And the only affirmation, the only proclamation, the only identity card that he needs is God's own proclamation. You are my beloved son. Well, the devil's not done with him. The devil began with this basic test, you know, okay, prove it. If you really are the son of God, change a rock into a loaf of bread. Jesus defended himself. He defeated the devil. He responded to the devil's temptation by quoting scripture. He turns to Deuteronomy and he quotes it. One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He quotes Scripture. He quotes the Hebrew Bible to defeat the devil, to defeat this temptation. He doesn't depend upon himself and his own ability to change rocks into bread. He doesn't depend upon himself for proving his identity as the Son of God. He turns to God's Word, God's Word here in Deuteronomy, and God's Word speaking an identity of him, you are my beloved Son. So now it's almost as if the devil says, okay, you're going to respond to me by quoting Scripture. You're going to respond to me not by doing what I suggest, but instead, by quoting the Bible, I'll give you some Bible to depend upon. I'll give you some good scripture to accept and depend upon. You can, you can base your life on it. You can hang your life on this scripture. He takes him in what apparently is a dream or a vision. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple in the center of Jerusalem where he would be in the view of everybody, including the high priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And all the people of Jerusalem would be able to see this if he were then to do what the devil says. Jump off the pinnacle of the temple. Cast yourself to the ground. And the scripture says, he will commend his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Prove you are the Son of God. Prove you trust in the Scriptures of the Lord. Prove that you're going to depend upon the Word of God and throw yourself from the pinnacle of the temple. Ooh. 
The devil says, okay, you're going to depend upon the word of God as your proof of being the son of God? Here's some word of God. Use it. If you are the son of God, prove you have faith in God. Prove you trust God. Prove you trust the Bible. Here, here's scripture. Throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and the angels will come and swoop down and catch you and write you and settle you safely to the ground. Sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? After all, if he did this in the vision and view and sight of the high priest and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, everybody would see and know, hey, wow, this is the Messiah. He wouldn't have to go through his ministry. He wouldn't have to go through all that nightmarish mess of a trial and a crucifixion and a death. He could get it all done nice and easy and clean. And he would prove his trust of Scripture, right? I want you to shake your head no. The devil does something here that we all know how to do very well indeed. And especially those of us who preach on Sunday mornings, we're really good at doing this. He takes the Scripture out of its context and he twists it, he spins it, he manipulates it, he adjusts it, and applies it as he sees fit for his desire, his purposes, his needs. We do this all the time. We'll take a passage of Scripture that we like, and we'll rip it out of its context, and we'll use it in a way that seems fit to us, that seems to apply to us, that seems to feel good to us, that makes us feel good, that makes us happy, that makes us understand uh, where God ha wants us to be, but we'll take it out of context to do this. Taking scriptures out of context can be very, very dangerous. I'll give you an example. It's a very old joke, but it works today. Did you know that Jesus in the Bible wants us all to commit suicide and do it very quickly? Mm -hmm. I got Bible for it too. Matthew 27 verse 5, Luke 10 verse 37, and John 13 verse 27. See, it's in the scripture. Here's what it says. Judas hanged himself, Matthew 27 verse 5. Go and do likewise, Luke 10 verse 37. And what thou doest do quickly, John 13 27. All right, you see, Jesus wants you to commit suicide. Now go do it really quickly. Nah. That's taking three completely unconnected passages of Scripture that don't have anything else to do with each other, nothing at all to do with each other, and knitting them together in a way that goes contrary to their context and their meaning. Yes, Judas hanged himself, but Jesus never said, go and do likewise. And he certainly never said, what thou doest do quickly in conjunction with this. You committing suicide. So no. You can take scriptures out of their context. You can rip them out of where they belong in the scripture. And you can pervert their meaning. You can change their meaning to something that they had nothing to do with. And that's exactly what the devil is doing here today. He's taking one of the most wonderful psalms of scripture. The 91st Psalm, a psalm that my great-grandmother on my father's side used to pray every single night before going to bed. She would take out the 91st Psalm and she would pray through it every night before going to sleep. It's a beautiful psalm. The devil takes Psalm 91, verses 
11 and 12, which is speaking about what happens when we, by mistake, by accident, stumble in our daily living, stumble in our daily living. God provides angels to catch us and right us when we stumble, when we dash our foot against a stone. The promise is, if we are walking and following the gospel, if we are walking and following the way of God for us, if we're appealing to God for our salvation, if we're appealing to God's grace for our living, if we are turning to God and trusting in God, then God's angels will be there to catch us when we do indeed stumble. And they'll write us. He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The devil takes this beautiful passage and twists it, spins it, pulls it out of its context to say something that it does not say. It does not say, with abandon, throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple and prove you're the Son of God and those angels will catch you. What the devil is doing in the second temptation is a temptation that we all face. To take the word of God and make it mean something it does not mean. To take the word of God, to take a passage of scripture and twist it, spin it, massage it, change it, to make it apply to us when it has nothing to do with our will, our desire. To take the scripture and interpret it, apply it, rip it out of context in order to get our own way. If you're going to depend upon the Word of God, in other words, depend upon the Word of God and for what it says, and not how you might want to manipulate it and change it and massage it and adjust it and spin it. The devil's temptation here to Jesus is direct. If you're the Son of God, depend upon Scripture. You defeated me the first time, here's the second chance now. Here's your second chance. Prove you're going to depend upon the Word of God and apply the Scripture. How did Jesus respond? He responded the same way he responded the first time with Deuteronomy chapter 6. This time, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. That word test there applies. It's the passage that is used, or the word that is used earlier in the sequence about the temptations and testings of Jesus in the wilderness. Don't place the Word of God, the Lord your God, the authority of God, the power of God, the will of God. Do not place the Lord your God under the examination. It stands for itself. It proves itself. It justifies itself. It speaks for itself. And especially when you rip it out of context and spin it to mean something that it does not mean. In those moments, you are proving you're not the Son of God. You're proving you're the other. You're proving you're a son of the devil. To be blunt. Which brings us finally to the identity of this critter, this devil critter, this being who gave this first temptation, now the second temptation, and next Sunday will issue the third and most devastating temptation. We'll look more in detail at who this is next Sunday when we deal with the temptation there, but I want to give you a little bit of a preview 
Note, thus far the devil's temptations, the devil's attacks on Jesus have been rather wimpy. Sure, in today's reading he takes Jesus to Jerusalem, but it's, it's obviously in a dream, it's obviously a vision, doesn't really happen. No, the temptation yesterday, last Sunday's and today's is, is quite, quite wimpy. Each of these temptations is built upon things that we so frequently, willingly do ourselves. We like to depend upon ourselves and our own strengths and abilities rather than upon God. And when we do turn to God, we often try to manipulate God into being the kind of God that we want God to be. We try to adjust the scripture to make it say what we want it to say rather than what it actually does say. We want to choose which scriptures that we want to apply to other people. We want this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one to apply to this group of people over here. But this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one that apply to us, we don't want to enforce. So we're just going to ignore them or throw them away or spin them out of existence and say they're not there. But these here that say something that we like to apply to other people, we're going to apply it to them. See how it works? The temptations though are kind of wimpy. The things that we already do. The things that we're really good at doing. Ignoring God. Or trying to manipulate God. Ignoring the power and authority of God. Or trying to adjust it and apply it for our own purposes and ends. Pretending that we are sufficient. Or if we recognize God, trying to make God be our lapdog. There are things that we already do. There are things that we're already really good at doing. And Jesus' response, I mean, he doesn't seem to be really concerned about it. He doesn't seem to be frightened of this devil. When you watch horror movies and you see the devil predicted, depicted, he's often depicted in this malevolent, evil character. And it's usually some guy with a shifty look on his face and he can cause fires to occur simultaneously and kill people with just a look. Or, or it's a little boy in the omen. Remember the boy from Damien in, in the omen? Remember him? He looked at you and you go over the, over the, over the banister. I mean, we're, we're good at depicting the devil that way. Well, here, Jesus doesn't seem to be particularly afraid of him. Doesn't seem to be afraid of him at all. Instead, he just speaks Scripture. He just quotes the Bible at him. He just remembers what God had already said about him in his baptism and quotes Scripture to him. Well, of course Jesus can do that. And of course Jesus isn't afraid of the devil. After all, he's the Son of God. Right? And that's the point. That's the point. You see, we are also sons and daughters of God. In Jesus Christ our Lord by adoption, we also are sons and daughters of God of God. And just as Jesus defeated the devil's temptations by simply speaking the word of God, so also we can defeat these temptations, the first and the second and the third, by simply speaking the word of God in Jesus' name.
depending upon God, not upon self, and resisting the urge to spin it, the Word of God, to make it say something that it does not say. Well, that's the first and that's the second temptation. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the third temptation, which is probably the worst of them all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Listening to a sermon by Dr. Gregory Neal, Senior Pastor of the First United Methodist Church in Commerce, Texas, and Rector of Grace Incarnate Ministries. Copyright 2015 by Dr. Gregory S. Neal. All rights reserved. For more information and for other sermons by Dr. Neal, visit us on the web at www.revneal.org. That's www.revneal.org. You are also invited to visit us in person at First United Methodist Church, 1709 Highway 24, Commerce, Texas, 75428. This program was produced by Dr. Greg Neal.